Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Oh, this is part three of our series on Song of Solomon. We've been doing it at our Fallowfield PM service. This is Tom recording at home because the recording on the evening didn't work. So this is a re-record of the content of that sermon. Um, I wonder if you've ever had the experience of looking for something that you just can't find. It, it, it was there. You knew it was there. You knew where it was, but suddenly it's gone. This is something that happens to me all the time. Uh, the number of times I've been around my house saying, hey, wh- where are my glasses? Have you seen where I've put my phone? Recently, I had to get a new key cut. I, I lost my key and uh, I had to knock on my own door to get into my house. And for days, I couldn't find my key anyway. So I got another one cut uh, and then it turned up. And do you know where it was? It was in my pocket all along. It's ridiculous, right? <laughs> I wonder if sometimes it can feel like this in relationships as well um, and I'm using relationship broadly here could be thinking of a, a romantic relationship a marriage um, or, or a friendship or a relationship with a family member um, whatever it might be um, but this sense of like we had something and then no we don't now it's just gone for, for whatever reason maybe it's physical distance you used to live close to each other and so you'd see each other all the time and you'd really connect and now one of you's moved away and it just isn't the same or perhaps you used to be housemates and now you're not and just the relationship hasn't kept that closeness Uh, but also it could be emotional and even if there's no physical distance sometimes it just happens that in a relationship um it's like they've checked out. It's like they're emotionally not there. It's like the, um, the whatever connected you together just seems like hard work now. And it's it's not the same for, for whatever reason it might be. Um, remember when I was about 18, I was dating someone who lived in a different country. Uh, we'd arranged to spend a bit of time together. And we said, let's meet in France. So we were both going to travel to France. Um, so I got there a bit before she did. And we were, we were 18. And when you're 18... Um, Sometimes there are things that you don't know that later you learn. And what we didn't know at that time was how airports worked. So we, we'd arranged that we were going to meet by the baggage reclaim, where, like where all the luggage comes round. Um, now, what we didn't know is that was the other side of the security gate from me coming to the airport to meet. So I physically couldn't get to that bit of the airport. So I was there, like, stranded in the bit I was in. She was there, like, just waiting uh, for me, there was this distance, like there was just an inability, there was a barrier between us. We just couldn't connect. <laughs> and actually, that's probably a parable for that whole relationship and why it didn't work. But do, do you see what I mean? Uh, in a relationship, sometimes it can just seem distant and not there, and like a block appears. And perhaps you've even felt this in your relationship with God. And most of us have at some point. Or another, it feels like it's going well. You're kind of in a in a good place. Your walk with God's going great, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it just seems like well, it seems like God's a million miles away. I'm really struggling to uh, get any sense of His presence with me, like I used to. Worship can just feel like you're going through the motions a bit. Prayer is um, no longer vibrant. It just it's like mouthing hollow words to the ceiling. 
trying to read your Bible becomes like just wading through hard treacle and the joy of it isn't there. The idea of getting along to community group or to church just feels like heavy. It's like you can't think of anything that really appeals less in the moment and you've no idea why. There's no obvious cause of this but somehow it's just there. It's like descended upon you and sometimes even when you feel like this it's like hard to talk about. There's a sense maybe... Can I say this out loud? Would, would other people really understand? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever wondered what that is? Well, this is what we're talking about today. We're looking at the Song of Solomon, and we've been doing a little series here over the last few weeks. And this is a book in the middle of the Old Testament, eight chapters of romantic poetry, spoken between a man and a woman. And it's a book that works on two levels on uh, the most basic level it's just uh, the conversations between these two people expressing their love for one another but uh, throughout the history of the church and before that the Jewish interpreters it's always been read as a book that points us to the relationship of Christ and the church the love that he has for his people and the love that he would invite us to have for him so what we've seen so far, we started by looking at uh, the desire that the bride had for her husband, the, the longing for his presence, the, uh, <clears throat> the kind of draw for closeness that she had. We, we, we spoke about that and then uh, what that might mean for us and longing for God, being passionate and desiring God in a way that's somehow analogous to what we see in the song. Uh, and then we had a look at how she feels about herself. She's um, quite insecure. And his words spoken over her uh, in response to that, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. And through the gospel, that's what Christ would say to us. But today we're going to pick up a couple of moments in the story where there are, there are wrinkles. Now, any good love story has ebbs and flows. And this one is no different. There are uh, two little passages in the song where things start to go a little bit awry. Uh, both of these are things that happen at night. Both of them start with the bride and uh, she's uh, on her own um, in bed and um, they're possibly dreams. Well, maybe these are dreams that she had or maybe there are thoughts that are going through her head uh, as she's there. But basically she wants to be close to his presence and yet she can't find him anywhere. She's looking for him and he's, he's not around. We use these passages to think about what it feels like when the presence of God seems to be absent from us. So the first one is in Song of Solomon chapter 3 uh, verses 1 to 4. Um, so if you're following along you might want to turn there in your Bible as I, as I read them out. It says, Upon my bed at night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I called him but he gave no answer. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The sentinels found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them. When I found him whom my soul loves, I held him. I wouldn't let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. So it's the beloved here, and uh, she knows that she loves him, and she's seeking him, 
and he's not there. She's calling to him and he's not answering. It's like the desire for him is there, but the ability to enjoy him in the moment, the intimacy, the presence is gone. She wants to be close to him, but right now she's not. I remember this is a, a spiritual book. We read it in a spiritual way. And it's acknowledging here that there'll be moments in a relationship with Jesus where his presence seems to just be gone. Where he seems to be far off, where he seems to be absent from us. So where he seems to be ghosting you every time you try to reach out to him, just nothing. Now, I just said the word seems a lot. And that's an important word in what we're talking about. We know from the Bible he's promised to never leave us or to forsake us. So we're not saying he actually has gone. But yet in our experience of it and the way it feels, that's how it can seem some of the time. And knowing that he hasn't left doesn't mean it's not painful when the experience is uh, that he's a long way away. It doesn't make it less disorientating when we're going through it. It's still a really difficult, challenging thing when moments like this come along. And striking as well, just in these verses, she hasn't done anything wrong here. It's not like she's cheated on him. It's not like she's kicked off and had a go at him or uh, there's been a row or anything like that. It's not something she's done. She's just waking up saying, I really wish he was around. And right now he isn't. Sometimes it's possible to feel distant from God when really it's not of our own doing. Um, I mean, it's possible to do things as well. We'll come on to that. But sometimes it's, it's just a thing that happens and... The tendency can be to like go introspective, like, what have I done? How have I caused this? It's not always of our own doing at all. And that makes it all the more confusing. Different writers in the past have spoken about this and about the experiences they've had with it. And the phrase that is often used to describe this experience, I think it's a really beautiful descriptive phrase. It's called the dark night of the soul. And this dark night of the soul is something... We see in scripture, we see, take Elijah, he was a prophet and he had this moment where he stood up for God in front of the whole nation. There were hundreds of prophets of a false God and Elijah was the only one representing God. And they said, let's have this little contest, let's both pray and we'll see whose God answers with fire from heaven. And they prayed all day and they couldn't get anything. And Elijah prayed and the fire of God came down. What a moment in God's presence. And yet the next thing we hear about him is he just wants to go and be on his own. He's kicking off and going, God, I might as well just be dead. I'm not feeling it anymore. I'm not in that place that I was. He has his dark night of the soul. Not just in scripture, we hear it in the stories and the testimonies of uh, different people of the faith. Uh, Mother Teresa, one of the most famous Christians of the 20th century, she described her experience. She, she wrote this. The pain within is so great. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. In the darkness, Lord my God, who am I that you should forsake me? The one you have thrown away is unwanted, unloved. I call, I cling, I want. And there's no one to answer. No one on whom I can cling. No, no one alone. The darkness is so dark. And I'm alone. Before I used to get such help and consolation from spiritual direction. Now, nothing. 
Isn't that... Oh, isn't that bleak, those words? They're strong, right? And maybe we know something similar in our own stories. I, I can identify a few years ago. I had a moment just like this where I was just trying to pray. I was trying to sense God's presence. I was trying to worship. I was trying to do all the things I'd done before where I'd drawn close to God. And none of it seemed to be working. It just wasn't happening. He seemed far from me. Even Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This experience is not an uncommon one. It happens to most of us at some point or another. That's the first of the passages in the song. The second is in chapter five, so maybe you'd like to turn with me there as well. And in this one, we'll see some similarities, but we'll also see some differences. It's not exactly the same as before. Chapter five, and I'll read verse two to eight. Again, it's her speaking. I slept. But my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I'd put off my garment. How could I put it on again? I'd bathe my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved thrust his hand into the opening. My inmost being yearned for him. I arose to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh upon the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and was gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but did not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. Making their rounds in the city, the sentinels found me. They beat me. They wounded me. They took away my mantle, those sentinels of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him this, I am faint with love. So it's a little bit different, isn't it? This time, it's not just that she wakes up and he's not there. This time, he shows up. He's, he's knocking on the door. He wants to see her. He wants to spend time with her. But she turns him away. She has her, her reason. She has her excuses not to be with him. She says, look, I've put off my garment. How could I put it on again? I've bathed my feet. How could I? So I've already wound down for the night. I've already got myself ready for bed. I don't really want to have to get up, spend some time, and then do that all over again. It's just not a good time for me. We have our own version of this, don't we? I've had a long day at work. I've just got in. I've settled down into my lounge clothes. I've put something I like on TV. I'm done for the night. You might want to spend time, but no, this is not the right moment for me. And there's not really anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a bit of uh, me time uh, from time to time. Um, we don't need to be at the beck and call of everyone around us. Um, and yet when this becomes a pattern, when it's like every time someone reaches out to you and wants to spend time with you, like when, when there's always something, always an excuse, always a reason not to spend time, well then there's going to be a rift, isn't there, in the relationship. It's going to be damaged, it's going to be impacted by it if this becomes too frequent. And there's a spiritual reality that corresponds with it. This imagery of the lover knocking on the door is one that the New Testament picks up with Jesus. By the way, if you ever want to geek out for an afternoon, see how many links you can find between the Song of Songs and Revelation. Really interesting thing to do. 
In this one, it is in Revelation, Jesus is speaking to a church in Laodicea. And he says, listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. So that gives us the same choice to make that the beloved had here in the song. Jesus is knocking on the door. What are we going to do? Are we going to accept the invitation or are we going to find a reason to push him away? Now, some of the time we make the same choice that she made. And there are different ways we might do it, different reasons behind it. Sometimes it's sin. There's something in our lives that uh, we, we know wouldn't please us. Well, I don't really want to let you in because I want to do this thing. And I know that would be challenging. Shall we put him at arm's length? Other times it could be lethargy or indifference or this like, I can't be botheredness. That, um, that just could be the reason to, to push him away, to reject the invitation. Sometimes we take the knock with God. Life hasn't gone quite the way we wanted it to go. And we blame God, God, because of this thing. No, I don't want you in my life. There's any number of things why we may hold him off. But what we see with the beloved here in the song, and this could be true for us with God as well, is almost straight away, once she's pushed him away, she regrets that decision. It's like she, she gets up, she goes to the door, she does want to spend time with him. But by the time she does, He's turned and gone. So we said in the first of these, this happened, it just wasn't her own doing at all. Well, this time it kind of is. Sometimes the, the rifts with God can be our own doing and that hurts in its own way, which is maybe a bit different. But it's uh, leaving us in the same place, isn't it? It's the same words. I sought him, but didn't find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. And sometimes there's a real shame attached to this so we struggle through these problems on our own bringing this stuff to the light can really help and yet when you're in that position of being the one who someone's sharing about this with it's, it's not easy it's not uh, it's not easy to know how to help because uh, really it is a connection between them and god there, there are pitfalls for those who are trying to help run alongside others who are struggling with this dark night of the soul I wonder if you noticed in both of the passages that we read, there was made mention of some characters who were called the Sentinels, or perhaps in uh, your translation it might say the Watchmen. Um, and these represent other people who you might go to for help. Perhaps it's friends, perhaps it's leaders, people you say like, look, I'm in this dark place, can you help me reconnect with the lover of my soul? And these Sentinels don't do so well. Uh, and one of them is worse than the other but in, in both of them they're not particularly helpful the first of the passages chapter 3 verse 3 it says the sentinels found me as they went about in the city i asked have you seen him whom my soul loves and basically the answer is no it's only after she's passed them that she eventually can find him now they may mean well um, she's looking to them for help but they can't do anything Christine Kane advises people cannot give you what you can only get from God. And perhaps she's looking to, to these sentinels for something only God can provide. And often when you're in this place and someone's asking you to help, often, just practically speaking, one of the issues is, is just timing. Good advice given at the wrong moment is bad advice. Um, there's a story in the Old Testament of Job and He's a guy, basically, his whole life comes crashing down 
around him. And he, he's got three friends. And so his three friends, they start off absolutely fantastic. They're brilliant. They just sit with him for a week. They don't say anything. They're just there. And, and they're just sharing with him in his grief and in his sorrow and in his difficult place. But then it all goes wrong because then they start talking and they say, well, maybe it's because of this or have you thought about that? And they've got all these ideas and theories and they spend 30 chapters just talking absolute rubbish, coming up with suggestion after suggestion, theory after theory that doesn't help. And sometimes we can do this. We can be so desperate to, to help the one who's going through this moment that we really don't help. Like we'll say things like, well, maybe what you should do is, is pray about it. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem. I'm struggling to do that. Don't you see, like, this is just making it kind of just lay heavier on my shoulders. So I'll tell you what, I'll lend you a book. Great, I'm going to have to read it, you know. I'll send you a link to a talk. And part of you wants to say, thank you, I know you're trying to be kind. You're trying to help here. But another part of you just wants to say, just can you just shut up? You're making things worse. Sometimes all you need is a friend who can put an arm around your shoulder and say to you, you know what? I'm here with you. Well, in chapter five, it goes from bad to worse. This time, it's not just that the Sentinels have nothing helpful to say. They're actually destructive to her. Verse seven, making their rounds in the city, the Sentinels found me. They beat me, they wounded me, they took away my mantle, these sentinels of the walls. This is abuse of authority. Abuse of authority isn't merely a 21st century problem. This is something that the poetry here is clearly pointing to. It's intimating at physical abuse and sexual abuse that she's experienced at their hands, which is just horrific. You go to someone for help. But instead of helping, they hurt you, they exploit you, they do damage for their own gain. And however this plays out, whatever it looks like, whether it ends up the same as it was for her, and sometimes it does, or whether it plays out in different ways, this is speaking of where you think you're going to get help, but really they just don't care. And they leave you worse off than you were at the start. Just picture her. She's already feeling alone. She's feeling isolated. She's feeling like she's completely blown it. And then this happens. Wouldn't it be easy for her to just give up, to throw the towel in, to have had enough? But yet through it all, there's something deep down in her that still longs for the presence of her good, kind and gentle group. And so she cries out in verse 8, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, she's speaking to her friends now, if you find my beloved, tell him this, I'm faint with love. She's faint with love, she still is clinging on to that hope. So why does it happen? Why do we go through seasons like this? Why can't it be that just the entire Christian life is constantly feeling the presence of God all the time. Why, why are these moments a thing? Why, why does it exist that we sometimes feel distant? Well, it's not that God is just absent. That's not true. We, we mentioned earlier, he's promised to never leave us and forsake us. And in the, those moments where it seems like he's distant, God is doing something. I love these words from Tony Evans. He says, when God is silent, he is not still. God is working. 
Let me try and illustrate how this works. One of the things that uh, Emma and I do when one of us is going on a trip is the, the one who hasn't gone on the trip will, will text and say something like, are you missing me? And uh, th this will happen numbers of times through the trip. And the first time, uh, almost inevitably, the answer is, well, no, not really. Like I left about 20 minutes ago. I'm still on the bus to the train station. I'm, I'm doing all right. You know, it's not really sunk in yet. And then there's another message a bit later. Are you missing me? So, well, well, no, now I'm sitting on my train. I've got my book, I've got coffee. Like, life's pretty sweet, you know, like I'm, I'm doing fine. And this goes on a couple of times. And then there's always a moment at some point on the trip where it, it just flips and where the answer becomes, you know what? Yes, I really am. I'm, I'm missing you now. It's, uh, the, the absence has kind of sunk in and it's created this sense of longing, this sense of desire to be back in the presence, to be reconnected once. Well, it's just a little joke we do, but uh, there, there's something in it, I think. The, the absence, the prolonged sense of absence that creates the desire. You might have heard the saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And it's in these moments that the presence of God might seem far away, that it's creating and stirring in us that longing to be in his presence once more. Julian Hardiman puts it this way. One effect of the times that Jesus seems to withdraw is to make us long for him all the more and to seek him and that conscious sense of his peace and presence. If you're in a state where God seems distant, seems inaccessible, please realise this does not mean he's not working in you. He is there, but his spirit is doing a different work when you don't feel his presence, but instead feel a sense of absence. That sense of absence is given to you by God to make you seek after him all the more. We have two young kids and often what will happen is we'll take them to a playground and they'll just strike up friendships with other random kids. Now, and they'll start to play and one of the games that just seems a universal amongst children uh, is that one of them will just set off running and then the other one will immediately chase after them and follow in their path. There's something like that to these moments when God seems absent. Like, are you going to chase me? Are you going to come after me? Are you going to seek me? Are you going to long for me? It's trying to stir that up in us. Moments like this are a call to pursue God, to go after him and to seek him. I love the progression through in chapter three. She loves him. She sought him. She found him not, but then she found him. She held him. She brought him home. Isn't that beautiful? So let these moments create that longing in you. And then when you once more experience that conscious sense of his presence, it will be all the more precious to you. That's what happened in Mother Teresa. I shared with you uh, her, her cry out in that bleak moment. But by the end of her life, the, the one cry she had was just, I want Jesus. It stirred something in her to go after him. Amy Bird puts it this way. Let's be bold like the bride in seeking him. Pray fervently. Go to his word. Get with his people. Don't stay down. Get up. So what made it look like for you to not stay down and get up? Well, the suggestions that she makes are great. Pray fervently. Go to his word. Get with his people. Maybe it's that. Or maybe for you, it's all you've got is just a cry of, God, I don't get it. This hurts. Why is this how it is? I want you that's all you've got then make that cry maybe it's falling to your knees 
Maybe just waiting and holding on to those promises from past moments where you've heard him speak to you and you've just got those promises and you cling tightly to them. Maybe it's getting into the quiet place and worshipping on your own. Maybe it's opening up to someone and speaking out your trouble. Now, they may not solve it for you, but hopefully they'll be like Job's friends at the beginning. A friend to stand alongside you is a good thing. The Song of Songs is all about the ebb and the flow of a relationship. There are moments of seeking and seeming far off. And they're useful, they stir up the longing. But that isn't all there is. The seeking leads to finding. And she says in chapter 3 verse 4, Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I, until I brought him home. You know, the heart of Jesus is not to be distant, it's to be found and to draw near. The moments we've been talking about are important ones because God is doing something. But you have to know these are not the norm. And if you're in a moment like this, take heart. It doesn't last forever. God, through his son, wants closeness with you. So interesting how, how often Jesus spoke about this idea of seeking and finding in the Gospels. He spoke of a guy who, who lost a sheep and he left them all behind to go after this one that had wandered away. He sought and he found and then there was a celebration with all his friends. He spoke about a woman who, who lost a coin at home and uh, she overturned everything in her house to find it. She sought, she found. And then there was a celebration because she had her coin. He spoke of a father who had two sons. One of them left home. Uh, broke relationship with the family, squandered all the stuff. And, and the father was just out there every day looking, seeking for his son to come home. And then when he was found, he had a celebration with his friends. This is the heart of God. In Luke 19, Jesus summarised his mission. The son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. So are you looking for him? Are you seeking for him? Well, he's looking for you. And seeking you. Are you longing for him? He's longing for you. Promises in the book of James. As you draw near to him. So he will draw near to you. Jesus wants to be found. The Bible says weeping may linger for the night. But joy comes in the morning.